It's good to see you. We have, hey, why don't I use this? This is good, right? Why not? Beautiful weather. I got to ride my bike outside today. And speaking of beauty, this is the entire topic of what we've been singing about today and what the message is about today. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. So you just heard the reading from our volunteers. Thank you so much. And the reading from the volunteers is talking about travelers in ancient Israel going up to the house of God. So what does that have to do for us today? We live about 6,000 miles away from Jerusalem. We live about 3,000 years after this was written. And most of all, there's no temple there. So what does that have to do with us? We are way, way disconnected by time and by space. But here's the thing Jesus kept alluding to and the apostles kept talking about, that there is a temple not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, that we can always seek. The temple in ancient Israel, the temple is the place that God dwells. The temple is a place people went on a journey to go visit, that journey called a pilgrimage. And today, that temple in the heavens is still the place where God dwells. Where we find God, where we find the fullness of God, God gives us the fullness of our lives. When we see God, we can start orienting our lives around who he is and have things come together more and more. So we're going to talk about this pilgrimage. They may have talked about it more literally when this psalm was written but it applies so much, maybe even more, today. So we're going to go through it. As a matter of fact, um, I will have you bring up, let's bring up Psalm 84 again, the first few verses. Yes, excellent. Yeah, we'll start there, why not? We start, blessed are those how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts? I think a lot of what happens is, let me just make clear what I want to do. I don't want to just give you information. That's what school does, right? Gives you information. But the only information that's really helpful is what you want to know. Does anyone remember that from school? The only information you really remembered is what you want to know. So if I just try to push information on you, I'm not respecting you. What I want to do is cultivate desire. And what this psalm does is want to cultivate desire. My soul longs, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the, li to the living God. Is this something we long for? Do we want the presence of God? Have you experienced the presence of God? Do you believe in his presence is the fullness of joy? And it says, 
Even the sparrow finds a home to swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Such a delicate bird, the sparrow or the swallow, yet this delicate little bird finds a place that's safe in the temple, in the physical temple. We can go on here. Today we're going to talk about how we will get to the temple of God. Where are we going? How are we getting there? And what path are we going to take? First, are we even going there? Do we even care? Do we even want to be in God's presence? Or are we looking through happiness through our own means? Through other kinds of security? Through other kinds of longings? Or is our ultimate longing for the presence of God. And next, how do we get there? We're going through a hard path. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Who here has ever been to the valley of Baca? Anyone? Who knows where it is? Israel. Now, here's the interesting thing about the Valley of Baca. It might be an actual geographical place. It might not be. But it me- Baca means weeping. It's the Valley of Weeping. It's hardship. It's dealing with things we would rather not deal with. Are we willing to go through the Valley of Weeping to experience the presence of God? How do we get there? How do we get to the temple of God? If it's not physically in a place that we could walk to, how are we going to get there? We find the answer right here. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. The answer is, you already know. God has already given in our hearts the next steps we need to take to get closer to God. God has already given in our hearts the next steps we need to take to live our fullest life possible in his presence. I don't need to prove it to you. I don't even need to say it. You already know. But a lot of times we suppress that. We settle for less. We have a map, the scripture says here, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. That map is in us. But I want to notice something weird. See those words right there? Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Look at that really closely. Those, plural, plural. Strength, singular. Heart, singular. Highways, plural. How can many people have one heart? How can many people have one strength? The psalmist sees something we often overlook because we're so individualistic here in our modern day and age. It's only together that we can get there. It's only when we bind ourselves to people who love us 
and care about us and who will go through that arduous journey with us that we can make it there. So I caution and urge you not to go alone. As a matter of fact, we can't make it there alone. One heart, one strength. But look at that, highways, several ways. What I take this to mean is that we each are responsible for our own journey. Now others can help us. We can't do it without anyone else, but our responsibility is ours alone. We can't shove it on anyone else. Now we're facing the Valley of Baca, the Valley of Weeping. This is a place we want to avoid. If we had to choose the mountaintop or the valley, we would probably choose the mountaintop every time. Has anyone ever been on the top of maybe not a mountain, but even a high hill, and you get to see a lot more? Or maybe you're at a high point of the city, and then you look, and you can see a lot of the buildings and a lot of the roadways beneath you. When you are on the mountaintop, you can see most easily where you have been and where you need to go. When you're in the valley, not so easy. So we need, we need to take what we have learned on the mountaintop and take it into the valley. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Gospels may remember the time that Jesus took Peter, James, and John on a mountaintop, and before them appeared Moses and Elijah, the, probably the biggest figures in the Old Testament, talking with Jesus. And Peter, Peter was an apostle who shot off his mouth a lot, and he said, oh, okay, this is great. Uh, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's build some buildings, let's build some houses for you to stay and just stay here. Peter wanted to savor the moment. Peter thought he could, with human tools, keep the divine presence here with him. How hasty, how foolish, and yet how close to home that is. We can't stay on top of a mountain. We need to go into the valley. And in that story in the Gospels, right after they're on the mountaintop, when they're there, the voice of God says to them, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And then afterwards, Moses and Elijah disappeared and they went down into the valley, the scripture says. And they encountered a man with a demon-possessed son. The presence of God visible in front of us or having to deal with this situation we don't even know how to deal with. None of the disciples knew what to do. There was a crowd gathering because these people who are close to Jesus didn't even know what to do. Are we prepared for the valley? Here are some reasons we don't want to go through the valley of weeping. One, it's a low point in our journey. When we're on the mountaintop, we can get a good overview. We can easily see and navigate difficulties when we're in the valley we have less sight and we need to walk by faith. Also, why don't we want to go through the valley of weeping? It says it in the name, we don't want to weep. We don't want to deal with our emotions a lot of the time. And this is especially true for men, I think. 
We don't want to be vulnerable with one another. We don't have the ability to be vulnerable with one another because we don't have the close relationships enough where we can trust one another. We stuff our emotions down and they manifest in other bad, negative ways. But you know what? You can't get to the temple of God. You can't get into God's presence without going through the valley of Baca. We need to go through that place. And we each know where it is for every one of us. Another reason we don't want to go is because we don't want to accept that this difficult path is part of our journey. We don't want to take responsibility for it. Why do I have to take this route? God can't really want me to do this hard thing. You know, I would just rather stay home. I would just rather not go on this journey anymore. It's too hard for me. We don't want to face hardship and difficulty. And our culture has incubated us to believe that we can have a satisfying life and not go through difficult times and not take responsibility for what we need to face. Whether it's standing up for ourselves, whether it's standing up for someone else, or rather it's just taking our responsibility to be a responsible person. Last reason I have here, one reason we don't go through the valley of weeping is because we don't really believe we can make it a place of springs. I'm gonna ask, let's go a few slides in front of us. We're gonna see a dry desert. A few slides, yeah, past the psalm. Keep on going, down, down, down. Here we go. So, first you see the second temple. That is the physical temple of God we saw, uh, a model of it during Jesus' time. It looks, looks nice. It looks great. This is, this is a place that people would trek hundreds of miles to. But our journey, I want to remind us, is even harder than this. Next slide. Here's a dry valley. Do we really believe that with God we can make it a place of springs? Let's go to the springs. Next slide. God says this is what he does with us. It doesn't look possible. It's not possible without God. It's about as easy to turn a dry desert into a place of springs as it is to bring the dead back to life. I think you see where I'm going with this. Jesus said, whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow torrents of living water to satisfy the thirsty. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus also said, here's the way to it. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't live. But if that seed dies, if it breaks apart, then it can bear much fruit. The plant actually destroys the seed as it grows up. How many places in our life are we still in seed form? 
that seed must be buried underground. When that seed is buried underground, those of you know whether you've been farming or planting or not, you put that seed underground, you don't know if it's growing or not. You just have to trust that it will. And that's tough. It's dark. It's damp. You see nothing happening. But unless you stay there, you can't grow that fruit. See, Jesus is the one, the only one, who did it perfectly, who took responsibility to face his greatest fears. Instead of retreating into comfort like we are so prone to do, he knew he had to walk through his personal valley of weeping. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, right before he was crucified, he prayed, and his prayer was so intense that he bled, he, his sweat, he bled through his sweat on the ground. He said, Father, I, if there's any other way, let me know, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus did not die for his own sin, but Jesus took responsibility for others. It is hard. But if God calls us to it, he can bring us through it. My friends, we're missing out. Because we're avoiding going through our personal valley of Baca. When we do trust God, he'll make it a place of springs. Let's not hold back for what God has for us. It's only through dying to ourselves that we can experience this new life and we can only do it by walking alongside Jesus. I will finish with this word picture. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He is already here. He's already there in the yoke. When farmers needed to plow the fields, they used oxen, and there was this big wooden piece they had to put over the oxen. One ox would go on one side, another ox would go on the other side, and they would plow the field together. As a matter of fact, a lot of the time, when they were training a new ox, they would yoke that ox with the more powerful ox who has a lot more experience, so that young ox would become mature and learn and be strengthened. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus is already in the yoke. He's waiting for us to join him on the other side. And when we do take that yoke, it's frustrating. It's exhausting. It's hard work. We'll probably get angry at first. <laughs> but when we learn to walk with him, we become strengthened. And soon may be strengthened to the place where we can be the stronger ox and have another person come alongside us. That's called discipleship. So I leave you with two questions tonight that we each have to answer for ourselves. So listen carefully. One. Are you headed to the same destination that God wants you to go?
And two, are you willing to go through your valley of Baca to get there? Thank you.